0: Campwire is made possible through the generous support of our sponsors. ActiveWorks Camp and Class Manager has everything you need to keep your camps running smoothly all year long. Our premier all-in-one software solution is secure, easy to use and gives families the freedom to register online from any mobile or desktop device. Manage your camps with responsive intuitive camp software built with you in mind. Learn more about Camp and Class Manager at activenetwork.com forward slash ACA. Thanks for joining us. Today we will be discussing supervision of seasonal and year-round staff. My name is John Beitner and I'm the professional development manager for ACA's Western Region. Our guest today is David Phillips. With 30 plus years of experience primarily focused in the immersive sector, David is a respected voice and thought leader with a track record of impressive results. His ability to diagnose problems and identify opportunities create time and resource sensitive solutions, and then operationalize the process has been the linchpin of a successful career. His engagements include day and overnight camps, college campuses, schools, retreat and conference providers, community centers, churches, synagogues, private and corporate foundations, athletic associations, and more formal institutions such as United Way and Jewish Federation. David is a prolific contributor to ACA professional development efforts. Uh, David and I met when we were working on the Keystone Regional Retreat together. In fact, he uh, gave a talk which gave me the idea to have this conversation with him today. But you'll uh, be familiar with David from his multiple presentations, including ACA National, the Keystone Regional Retreat, Tri-State, the Northeast Camp Conference, plus others for YMCA, JCC, et cetera. Specific to this podcast, uh, David and I met in Pennsylvania working on the 2017 Keystone Regional Retreat where he gave the presentation, Reclaiming Supervision, Hold On, Who Lost It? You can also read uh, David's thoughts in Camping Magazine. He's got a great article in the current edition, July, August, 2021, about working with consultants. Um, And if you work with boards, you won't wanna miss his article in the July, August, 2020 edition, where he, uh, the title is Strong Board, Weak Board, where he defines how to work with boards better. And even if you don't uh, plan on working with consultants, if you do project management, there's really excellent logic baked into the July, August consultant dynamic article on uh, project management theory. So take a look at that if you're working on projects. So welcome, David.
1: Tell hey, John. Us little,
0: <laughs> tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got connected with the camp industry.
1: I, I'm, I'm delighted, but first, I want you to repeat the whole part about my experience, and I'm a pillar of the camp community. My mom <laughs> would absolutely love that. So I, <laughs> I, I, I'm just going to send her that portion of this podcast, and we'll be done. I, be I, I
0: see you as a pillar of the camp community. I think you you <laughs> are a thought leader, and you've been one of my, my favorite go-to experts working on professional development efforts. So well, that, thank you for, for all says, the help you've given me.
1: Well, that's very kind of you. It probably says more about you than, than me. Uh, <laughs> you may need to find other folks, uh, but John, it's, a, it's an absolute delight to be with you. And in fact, um, I don't think we've ever spoken about it, but you asked about my connection to this camp world. And, and the truth is that in somewhere around the mid 80s, um, I, I was a camp counselor through uh, British universities, North America, for BUNAC. Uh, which I think is still in existence, kind of uh, similar to Camp America and the other sort of camp leaders, etc. And I came over and I think it's fair to say I got infected with this 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 disease of camp. <laughs> and it just it just it touched me in such a profound way. I kept coming back. And in 87 at the New Jersey Y camps, I met uh, my future wife. Oh, and, congratulations. Uh, That's nice. Yes. And it's only 31 years later, and, and uh, we're, we're still together. So these, these camp things do work out. Well, nobody um, puts up with a camp person like another camp person. You know, the <laughs> truth of the matter is, if you can live through camps together, you can pretty much deal with anything. Yeah. And so we've, we've had this, uh, this uh, marriage and this love affair that has resulted in a couple of kids who were raised at camp, um, literally raised at camp and are still connected to the camps that they fell in love with. And it's it's been um, a camp, and, and this immersive world has been a complete blessing. So I'm very lucky. Um, and it happens we're talking today about something which I'm extraordinarily passionate about. So we, we, uh, we're, we're lucky on so many levels. And, yeah. and the really remarkable thing is what's happening in the field right now. And the adaptive behaviors we're gonna see coming out of COVID uh, which maybe have propelled us forward five or 10 years more than we, we would have seen before. It's an exciting time to be in the camp industry.
0: So tell me a little bit more about that. I think we're all in a very uh, sort of survival mode reactive space. How do you, how do you see this as advancing uh, efforts for camping?
1: So I, I, I tend to look at things from that sort of macro long long play. And I think what we've seen is a couple of areas of growth that were propelled forward. So, for example, communications with families, with staff. I think uh, in many ways we've seen that propel forward at, at light speed. And it was really um, out of necessity yeah. because we lost, we didn't want to lose contact with our families. So, a lot of the, the folks I work with, we developed plans to see them really aggressively improve their outreach quota. And I don't think that would have happened in such a dynamic way without. I I also think the issue of mental health, which is near and dear to my heart, um, has also propelled forward at extraordinary pace because we've seen the media, we've seen schools, we've seen this entire narrative around mental health need. And I think the camps that are running towards it are experiencing the type of support and encouragement from their client base versus those that say you know we really we don't want to touch that i I don't really know of any camps anymore that haven't needed to address the issue of mental health um, both with campers but also with their seasonal staff and frankly with themselves and with the boards Uh, this is so those are two areas i think of adaptive behavior that we're going to see continue on for for I think for the future period.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I know that uh, a lot of camps rely on sort of cyclical behaviors. (laughs) And this may be the time that they're doing the quote unquote, midsummer evaluation of their staff. Um, And they may also be planning an end of summer evaluation of their staff. So I think this is a really good time to talk about this. You know, we're breaking some other molds because of what we've learned through the pandemic. We're we're developing new muscle groups, like you say, with communication and yep. outreach. You know, is is do you see that impacting these sort of supervision cycles too?
1: Um, yes and no. Um, look, I, I I'm a strong believer right now that we've got a fundamental issue with supervision, and let's let's sort of bifurcate these into two different. Uh, spaces. We've got year-round professional staff supervision, right? And then we've got our seasonal staff that we also uh, supervise and should supervise carefully and closely over the course of the summer. And I I think what what I'm seeing is uh, the need to approach year-round supervision in a quite different way than we've seen in some instances. I mean, I I spend a bunch of time with organizations that have challenges. And no matter what I'm called in for, it usually comes down to three or four things. It usually comes down to um, uh, uh, money. So we do fundraising. It will come down to governance and it will come down to talent. And it will come down to how we treat that talent or the governance. And that's where that supervisory piece is so critical. And um, those of you who may have been to one of my sessions will know that I I asked the question in the room um, how many of you are comfortable with your supervision? And it's remarkable that only about 25% of the hands go up. Interesting. And that's before the session begins. (laughs) So, you know, uh, it's remarkable to me that we don't take this issue more seriously. Or, or, actually, I think people take it seriously. I don't think we devote enough time to it.
0: Well, let's jump. Let's jump in. Let's start on sure. the
1: ground floor. Uh, how do you define supervision? Um, I, for me, supervision is about the growth of a professional. Um, and look, if you, if you go back many many years, supervision was very clearly. Um, about professional development. In fact, if you go back to the origins of supervision, it was really about how we get the best out of a resource in order to get the best you know, return on investment. Right. So while it wasn't task-focused in its entirety, it was clearly based around the issue of what does the client need? And that's where it sort of starts. If you go back into those social work uh, uh, paradigms, I think over the last... 15, 20 years, and, and look, uh, this is going to sound trite, but many of my friends have MBAs. There's nothing wrong. I'm sure there's some fabulous people with MBAs. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, as we've seen the growth and the, the the marketability of the MBA, we've seen supervision sort of shift to a more task-focused paradigm. And I think what we've lost is that supervision, to me, is always about the growth of the yeah. professional in situ that doesn't mean it also can't be about task and so what i try to see is that it's a hybrid of the two and one can't exist without the other and when they do it's a vacuum that is uncomfortable for the supervisor the supervisee and ultimately the entities that meant to benefit from that relationship that's a really long way of saying it wasn't no
0: yeah i i I like your definition and i think that It'll be interesting to look at um, ways of increasing the amount of sort of talent development uh, as, as part of the, the supervising process and at least balance it with those, uh, you know, achievements in, in task
1: delivery and things like that. Yeah, and, and maybe in a very um, esoteric way, I think of supervision as a sacred trust. I, I, don't, I don't think there is anything more important in our work, in our careers, that touches uh, the importance of supervision. Because you really, if you take it seriously, you've really got the future career and livelihood of another human being in your hands. So to me, it, it's the most sacred trust in the work we do.
0: And I I really see our industry as being a great place for that because of course that's the core of what we're doing with young people it is trying to bring out the best in you know our participants. And maybe, you know, we just have to expand that lens to include the staff and as as participants as well to
1: grow. Oh, absolutely. Listen though, in the end, there are three types of supervision, right? There's clinical supervision, which is what I spoke about. That's that formal disciplined alliance between Uh, um, two people who are ultimately at different levels. One's the manager and one's the recipient or whatever it might be. You've got uh, managerial supervision, which is truly uh, task-focused. And then you've got that external supervision where they bring in people like me to help uh, answer problems, issues, consultants. So that's like an external piece. When those three things can live and coexist together, you've got a really good feel for how we take that sacred trust and progress a person through a journey. And listen, John, for some people, the journey is not comfortable, but for many, if it's done correctly, while it may be uncomfortable, they will continue to learn and grow, which is again, at the very epicenter of what it's meant to be about.
0: Absolutely. How are things different for year-round staff than
1: let's say seasonal staff? Um, It's a great question. I think they're different because of the intent and the reality so we can say that we're going to treat these two things of equal um time and frequency and all that stuff but the truth of the matter is they can be of equal importance but it's the actual mandate of how they're undertaken that really matters and for that i think that's where the differentiation uh comes i think that what we what we see in year-round supervision is the need to take a person whose entire career is focused on this, whether they've decided on camping or or any other work in this informal, immersive world, um, they've made that choice and they've made an informed choice and they are going down that road. A seasonal staff member, this, people come to camp for lots of reasons. I discovered this a long time ago. I, I was under the impression people came to camp to really work with children in my naivety to work with children (laughs) and because but I discovered they actually come to be with each other, and they come to relive or recapture a piece of their life that either has always been present has never been present or they want to be present. So there's a difference in the intent and I think that drives how we go about supervising people. does does that?
0: It does. It does, and it just keeps. I mean, this this notion of, you know, it going hand in hand with professional development just uh, keeps resonating for me. Right. Um, and I think I think um, really kind of wrapping our minds around uh, the shared moments of professional development with the task management and you know the development of that whole person, uh, I think is probably the the right recipe.
1: Absolutely. And it is, look, it is a series of ingredients, which maybe we can get at later. But when I, when I think of supervision, it has to have some core ingredients, right? It has to have certain things that have to exist. So when you look at the bifurcation of seasonal versus year round, from a year round perspective, there has to be a mandate. You, you have to know who your supervisor is. And you'd be surprised the number of people who have a shared supervisor, and I, and I don't think that's realistic. You can have a, a person who may be a task-driven supervisor, but really you should have one supervisor. Yeah. And, and again, when I sort of ask people, are they comfortable with their supervision? Many of them are sitting next to their supervisor.
0: <laughs>
1: and, and when we get into the session a little bit, I say to them, look, all things being equal, how many of you are actually experiencing these core ingredients? And they Don't know what to do. They don't know whether and it and 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 sort of as a microcosm of supervision, which is meant to be transparent and it's meant to be engaging and, and building trust, they actually can't ask answer the question. Yeah.
0: Which is well in both ironic
1: and sad.
0: Not, sometimes not only does that supervisor uh, help them develop as a as a worker, they also uh, you know sign off on ideas Um, so with two supervisors sometimes if mom doesn't say yes you ask dad um, I think that that can be problematic
1: well it's problematic for the individual I don't think it's the healthiest of situations but sometimes I think what we do as senior managers or executives is make a decision which is comfortable versus good and and anytime you know Uh, You see someone who says, oh, I've got three different supervisors or two different supervisors. I sit there and I go, I understand that you may not have understood the consequences, but surely someone up the ladder said, you know what, this just isn't a good idea. Um, And by the way, the HR folks, the human resource folks, they, they should be jumping up and down about that because it's a disaster. How do you get evaluated effectively in that scenario? Yeah, I think that you know, there's
0: there's some some bargaining between the the multiple supervisors to come to consensus on absolutely. things versus you know this is this is how I feel.
1: Yeah, so you got you got you've to- got to have that mandate. You've got to have, I think, a focus that it's about the supervisee and not the supervisor. Interesting. It's a, it's a little bit like you know. Um, when, when someone is letting someone go and they say, this is really difficult for me, it's not. <laughs> it's really difficult for the person receiving the news. Um, so, you know, focus I think is is, is really important. And, and the one underestimated piece I think of year round supervision is the notion that it's a mutual uh, rules of engagement that are negotiated upfront. It's the first thing I, I teach when I'm doing some of the supervisory stuff is, Before you go into a supervisory relationship, before you go into any relationship, if you think about it, we we undertake contractual obligations. Before you get married, you sign a license. There are some obligations. Before you buy a car, whatever it might be. So supervision is no different. You should be sitting with your supervisor and saying, okay, these are the hot buttons that drive me crazy. What about you? And, And how often should we meet? And where should we meet? And should there be an agenda? Do I have to prepare for the meeting? So well, yeah. those things, I think, are really critical to the success of the product down the road. I agree.
0: I agree. And it's, it's, uh, it leads to the, the question, you know, what are some best practices? So it sounds like uh, location and timing and things like that. Describe you know, ideal and best practices. What would you suggest to people? It's,
1: it, it's funny. I, when I think of supervision, um, the best place to do supervision ideally would be a prison cell because your your cell phone probably doesn't work or you don't have one. There's really very little distraction unless there's a solid riot or something going on. And you're, for the most part, left alone most of the time. And and that is a great, for the most part, I don't think that's probably where many of your listeners are going to (laughs) access, although who knows. Um, So so I tend to think of um, negotiating those things out. And so for me, a best practice on supervision is um sit equally. I don't like sitting behind a desk and supervising another person because it, it reinforces that which we already know, which is I have a, a different power differential than you right. are. You don't need that. Everyone knows it. So maybe come out from behind your desk and sit around a table or sit in two comfortable chairs. Don't don't go to a place where you're going to be disturbed. You know, I I, I see people doing supervision in Starbucks and stuff. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> firstly why would you spend all that money on a cup of coffee that's you know king's (laughs) ransom for a latte or whatever um but more importantly you you need to have the focus on the other person whether you're the supervisor or the supervisee that's your focus yeah um I think best practices say that electronics are uh, an evil that needs to be addressed early and you know that we actually used to have supervision before cell phones. No. Or it's true. <laughs> uh, tr- try to calm yourself, but it is in fact true. And it's okay to go crazy and silence your phone, or even better, tell one of your colleagues to answer your line and say, David and John are in a meeting right now. Um, they'll be free in this amount of time. If this is an emergency, please let me know. Yeah. And you know what? Life will continue.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, So I think these distractions are critically important to best practice. And and the other thing um, when I think about best practice is I take time to take this process seriously. So um, I encourage the people I'm meeting with for supervision when I've been a supervisor to prepare and put time on their calendar. I want to see time on their calendar when they're preparing for supervision. I, want, I don't want them coming into me every day with 30 different questions when they're not urgent. Put those together and triage what's important, because you know what? That's teaching you a management skill. It's teaching yeah. you your own uh, process. Um, but I want to see them prepare for it. And then I want us to afterwards have a debrief where um, they're sending me, and this is how I do it. It doesn't mean it's the best practice. It's a best practice. Within 24 hours, I want to see an email that says, here's what we discussed, here's the action item, here's when that's due by and here's who's responsible for it. I don't need verbatim conversation, but that allows me now at the beginning of the next session to say, let's review our last action items. It allows me after three or four months or five months or six months, depending on your interim evaluation to say, wow, John completed 67 tasks and did them all on time. That, that's a powerful tool for the supervisee and the supervisor. Yeah. So those are some of the best practices I, I tend to push uh, as much as I possibly can.
0: So let's recap, we're, we're uh, focusing on each other. We're in a place that we're not gonna be disturbed. We're silencing phones and closing laptops. We're and
1: committing to the relationship.
0: Right. Right. Um, we're preparing for this meeting um and we're doing a recap afterwards. Yeah. Uh excellent. Excellent. how is that how is that different for like seasonal? Um so for example, we we started with this notion that lots of camps will do a midsummer and end of season eval. Is that useful?
1: Uh I think they are. I think they are they are for a couple of reasons. And 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 before we before we address why they're useful. They're only useful if they're in context. So, if four and a half weeks, you know, if, if camp is an eight week summer and most staff are there for eight or nine weeks, and you get your first evaluation after four or five weeks, if during that evaluation I say, Oh, and John, your chronic uh, body odor is so outrageous that we've really got to deal with this, then you could legitimately turn around and say, It's five weeks into camp. Why didn't someone tell me? Now, <laughs> Thank goodness we're doing this remotely, but um, the truth of the matter is, <laughs> the truth of the matter is, it's it's abhorrent to bring up something four or five weeks in that could have been identified and given the person the opportunity to grow over that period of time. So to me, evaluation shouldn't just be something you're checking off and saying, "Ah, oh, we meet our ACA standard of evaluation." It's got to be a living, breathing experience, and that's really where seasonal comes into its own because the chances are you're not going to be able to commit um, an hour a week as you might with a year-round supervisory relationship. On camp, you may be supervising technically five, 10, 15, maybe even 20 people, in which case, firstly, we need to establish whether that's reasonable and feasible. Can you really supervise twenty people during the summer the way we're talking about it? Mm -hmm. And I I have my doubts. In which case, how do we train people to be mid-management supervisors so that they actually get really deep, thoughtful supervision? And a lot of that can come down to senior and junior counselor roles, um, but only if we train people how to do it.
0: Right.
1: Um, But some of the things you can do, for example, you can adapt these things like location. So at camp. Is there any real private space? Are you ever really not disturbed? Uh, It's a challenge. (laughs) Find a place. A mile away from camp. (laughs) Yeah. Or, Or find a tree and say, folks, when you see me sitting under that tree with this, another person, please do not approach. That's my talking tree. Yeah. And if you want to talk with me, tell me and we'll go to the talking tree. But for right now, when you're walking past, don't have to wave, don't have to smile, don't have to shout something, or even better, find a tree that's not on a pathway. Right. But find somewhere that works for you. And maybe, just maybe, commit and say, hey, John, uh, you're, a, you're a junior counselor, we're gonna sit and have a supervision session, and call it what it is. It's not, I wanna chat with you. Actually give it the respect it deserves by calling it that which it is, John, Tomorrow afternoon, hopefully around 2 o'clock or at some point between this window, because we know how camp is, I want to sit, I want to talk. So between now and then, could you make sure you think about things we want to talk about or any questions, thoughts, comments, things you need from me? And what you're doing in a microcosm is exactly what you do with your year-round person. Yeah. You're asking them to prepare something. Um, supervision also at camp can take the form of a walk which is unusual. You wouldn't necessarily do that with a year-round person. But sometimes that's a really good way to connect with someone. Yeah. Um, But adapt adapt those things and make them purposeful for you, but then tell people why you're doing it. Because sometimes our 18 to 25-year-olds have no idea.
0: Yeah. And, and that, that leads to some other special considerations questions. So yeah. in fact, 18 to 25, but sometimes, like you said, a junior counselor, that might be a 16-year-old. These may be their first jobs. Absolutely. So A, I like that you're kind of showing them what the world of work includes uh, with feedback that comes at a fairly regular uh, pace and things like that. Um, but let's let's talk about that 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 kind of first job thing let's talk about maturity slash immaturity issues of these people and let's also talk about what you mentioned earlier on which is I didn't come to camp to develop kids I came to camp because I thought it would be fun and I know that they've got these activities and these pieces of equipment and I was hoping to use them too you know or I <laughs> You know, I hope to fall in love this summer. You know, they've got other things on their minds besides being, you know,
1: expert youth development practitioners. Absolutely. Um, See if we can take some of those and parcel them out a little bit. Um, Orientation, that orientation period before the campers arrive is an absolutely, I I think it's probably one of the most critical periods uh, for the establishment of relationships around supervision and oversight that there are. And in fact, I would I would go as far to tell you what I tell any number of my clients, which is, orientation does not make great counselors. Working with children, working together, your 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 freshly minted counselor becomes great in about the sixth or seventh week. Yeah, uh, because they've now had the experience, they understand the rhythm and the rhyme of camp, they understand the responsibilities, etc. So, what is orientation for? To me, orientation is I first and foremost, identifying that the person is safe to be around other people's children and around (laughs) your staff. And in very, very rare instances, I've said to folks, look, this is not the right fit. And here's your summer salary, but please either leave the community or go get yourself some help or whatever it might be, Because that's to me what orientation is about. It's about ensuring that this is a group of people that can gel together and that we have no influences that are gonna be inappropriate or I get a gut feeling about. And again, I think in 20 something years of working in those positions, I don't think it's happened more than two or three times. And the person was literally begging for it. They did things that were so outrageously inappropriate that that you had no choice. so the other part of what that orientation period could be is the establishment of the supervisory role and how it's going to work. Because the kids aren't there, the children aren't there. So you've actually got the time to sit. And you can, if you want to, if you're really pressured and feeling concerned about doing it individually, do it in small groups and say, you know what, you five people, you're going to be a group of people that I supervise. And here's how I would like it to work. But you tell me, how do you want it to work and can we agree upon those criteria as a as a small group which either then might meet for supervision because you can do group supervision um but it's it's a it's a more complex piece than many people have the capacity Mm -hmm. to undertake right but at very least you've used that orientation period to establish the role and the responsibility, the mutuality of that responsibility around supervision. So, to me, that's one of the ways you deal with someone who's come to camp and isn't quite understanding the enormity of the responsibility that comes with these jobs. And it starts to sink in. And, you know, I, I have to tell you, the most obvious is sometimes in front of us. And a, a friend of mine once said, He was a detective chief constable in in England. He said, if you walk into a room and there's a body and it's covered in blood and a person standing there with the knife saying, I did it, don't go searching for deeper meaning. (laughs) And so if you sit with a group of counselors and you say, why'd you come to camp? And they say everything but working with children, then you kind of have a sense of where they are. Yeah. And, and in those supervisory meetings, you can then delve into that and say, I understand. And maybe they're escaping something and coming to campus. A lot of people, you know, well, and especially after COVID, you know, we're looking for connectivity, we're looking for a way to, to engage back in society. So people may be coming for lots of reasons. Let's identify what those are and use supervision and goal setting to help bring about that level and degree of responsibility around other people's children, which you know, I say, you, you could be running Google, you could be the head of a large corporation. None of that has anywhere near the responsibility of being a cabin counselor and being responsible for someone else's child.
0: Yeah,
1: I agree. So, I agree.
0: so you bring up goal setting, let's talk about that. Um, What would you consider a common myth about goal setting and reviews and things like that?
1: Um, I think goal setting, one of the myths is it has to be complete. And that we have to have tangible, reasonable and feasible goals. I think the goals can be um, certainly, and I'm talking now for seasonal um, staff. I think they can be deeply personal they don't have to necessarily be focused on the camper. Because if we really remember what camp is about, it's as much about the staff as it is the campers. In fact, yeah. all the research of impact is really focused on staffing and not on campus. I, I do think people would notice a camp that didn't have children, <laughs> and had a group of you know, 16 or 18 to 25 year olds wandering around. But at the same time, I, I think there's a misnomer that the goals have to be program related or camp related. They can be about personal growth related. And I think those are some of the better goals. So you might, for example, encounter someone with tremendous anxiety and maybe their goal for the summer is to um, manage that anxiety, not solve it necessarily because that's a different issue, but maybe they're afraid of public speaking and one of their goals is to be able to get up in front of a cabin or a village or a unit or the camp i think we can make these goals about the person not necessarily about their performance sometimes mm-hmm. and i think i think we miss that sometimes on a year round basis i think it needs to be a mixture of professional growth development where do we want to see this growth happen over the next year and what are the specific areas and it needs to be far more Uh, I don't like the word regimented, but maybe far clearer what that is. And to me, those things absolutely need to be in writing. They need to be a a baseline of where we are currently and where we're heading, Um, which you can can deploy in the camp setting with your seasonal staff as well. I, I, I think we've just got to be realistic of what is attainable. So if you ask what I think some of the myths are, it's that you can attain everything at camp. You you just can't. When you walk through the camp gates, you can still get your heart broken. You can still uh, be extraordinarily sad and extraordinarily happy. You can still be devastated by world events. We need to be realistic, um, even more so now with the way we communicate and the news is instant about how we view goal setting.
0: So, tell me, what is the most important lesson you've learned as a supervisor or manager?
1: Oh my goodness, uh, I have um, made so many mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I and I think I think um, if it's okay with you, I'd like to identify uh, and and sort of have a uh, a confessional with John.
0: Sure, open. sure. Because because the. I, therapy... Lucy's therapy window is open.
1: <laughs> well, I, and, and don't expect any money. Absolutely not. Five I'm,
0: cents, actually.
1: I, you'll be lucky. You will be lucky. Um, so I've done some horrible, I'm trying to think, they're not horrible things, but they were just like rookie mistakes or naivety that yeah. I grew into. So I've done supervision in awful settings. You know, I remember taking a staff member to, um, to a park and thinking, this will be great. And a dog literally pooped in front of us. And I was like, <laughs> how, do you, how do you account for that? And it was right. stupid because it was a dog park. I should have <laughs> known better. The first clue. Yeah, the first clue was dog park. Um, I've, I've been guilty, I think, of trying to mix therapy with supervision and trying to solve people's problems. And I have an inclination to help, right? I'm a social worker yeah. by training, yeah, yeah. so I gravitate towards that. But you've got to watch that you don't get too deep with problems versus um, focused on the fact that this is uh, a relationship derived from expectation of performance. And so... I
0: I agree with you, but I feel like so many summer staff sometimes make their supervisors a parental figure. um, I think that's... While they're... you And for many of them... This might be one of their first times away from home for an extended period of time. Yep. Yeah.
1: I, and so, what I'm, I, I, to me, that's more about your your year-round folks, yeah, um, who are with you all year. The summer folks look for many of them. This is the first time an adult or a person has really sat down and paid attention to what they have to say, and so it's not surprising. You know, I've certainly had what I would call the the, the mental health Uh, supervision sessions yeah and that's I I think that's far more acceptable at camp than it is with a year-round person to me if a year-round person is having significant mental health issues I'm sympathetic to it I'm supportive of it but I would absolutely encourage them to see a professional that is focused on that I think um, ignoring the obvious is another confessional for you that I've done and it goes back to that thing. That if, if I say to someone, hey, hey, John, I really need you to set up a rocketry program. And you say, but you know, I'm deathly afraid of loud noises. <laughs> and I just sort of ignore it and go, yeah, that's great. Just do the rocketry program. Sometimes ignoring the obvious yeah. is, is, is a serious error. Then we, and, we, and that comes down to active listening and really yeah. understanding who the person is and how they tell you what they can and can't do, which, by the way, if you relate it back to part of our earlier conversation, is all about negotiating at the beginning. Yeah. Um. You know, come up with a word that if you use it, it really means I'm afraid. Yeah. Something like I'm afraid would be a great <laughs> word to use. Um, third party feedback. I, I've listened to third parties give me feedback on a person and, and this was very early on in my supervisory career. And I took it to heart that that was gospel. And the truth of the matter is, I've learned that you you don't ever listen to one person's specific feedback unless it's the chief of police uh, you know, <laughs> it, or a judge. It, yeah. it, it, you, you've got to sit in a judicious manner and say, OK, one person said this. Does that mean that that's really the, the truth? Right. Or is there an agenda that person yeah, needs yeah, yeah. to color that? Um, you know, I think the the two, I'll leave the last two as the, the worst pieces, I think, of my career, and hopefully I'm well past them, but you can avoid painful situations to the detriment of the person you're supervising, because you don't want to tell them the truth. And and I made the joke earlier about a uh, body odor, but the truth of the matter is, if someone is not performing um to their best, or someone can't perform or can't be successful, keeping them in that position is actually grossly unfair to them.
0: Oh, I agree. I mean, you can't, you can't manage a square peg into a round hole.
1: Absolutely not. It's, it's often better to,
0: yeah, look for their, their skill set and reassign them in a place that they're going to thrive versus, taking the shy person and, you know, having them create the performances or something.
1: Absolutely. And by the way, if you were part of the hiring of that human being, then you have a responsibility as well. I I, I won't be part of a hiring process where it isn't abundantly clear what the job is, the expectation. And that, by the way, includes salary. We, we should be publishing salaries in every single job advert, because if we don't, then inherently women are always going to find themselves being given the bottom of the scale that's That's available. So that's one of the, so, so avoiding painful situations also includes saying, John, you've really tried your hardest, but at this point, this isn't going to be successful. So let's part company. How do we do that in a respectful, kind, thoughtful way? Um, So I think it took me a while to understand that avoiding those painful situations in the end makes them more painful versus non-painful. And then finally, and it's the curse of the British, sarcasm. You know, it's built into my DNA and some people simply don't get my humor. Um, And and it took me a while and, and had to negotiate it with people that, you know, please help me understand your understanding of sarcasm or humor in it because my default for pressure is humor yeah and that's not the case for everybody and um, so I don't, don't anyway that's my confessional and now I can uh, well
0: I appreciate leave. your your candor um, and I think that um, people feel very exposed and vulnerable when they're being managed and when they're having those sort of concentrated moments of management and supervision. So I think yeah. things like sarcasm may easily backfire when when their emotions are already involved um, in that, that moment.
1: And, and for sure, if you're supervising seasonal folks, I can tell you, if they have a teen number, if there's a teen in their number, <laughs> sarcasm does not necessarily develop until you're in your early to mid 20s yeah. and there are look, my, my children were raised on sarcasm it's in their DNA so I wouldn't worry about them but still if their supervisor was sarcastic to them versus their father it's a different it's a different uh well and we're,
0: we're role modeling too yeah. so if we don't if we don't want to create a space for sort of teasing or you know awkward use of humor I, I think you know being supportive and kind through all of these conversations, absolutely role models to those counselors, the right way yeah, to talk I, to their charges. Their I,
1: I am amazed at the number of um, uh, consulting gigs I take where, when I when I talk to the staff and I do 360 evaluations or whatever it might be, they talk to me and they say that their supervisor screams and shouts. I'm I, I always felt I was at my most focused and probably. I'm not going to say scary, but but certainly um, getting the gaining the attention of folks when I'm talking quietly. Absolutely. Um, There is no place for screaming and shouting, Um, period, the end. Yeah. Um, And that that distresses me that people would still resort to that. And it's still so common.
0: Well, and it reflect it refers back to that mental health stuff you were talking about. Yeah. If they're not learning ways to release the pressure of the you know steam pot without it exploding, uh, they need to to kind of work that out. Um, so let's let's talk about young people more because that's our workforce. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: you know, how? What? What recommendations do you have for working with underperforming staff or let's say you were part of the interview and you selected this person and you were gonna supervise them and they made commitments that once the season has begun, suddenly they feel differently about the commitments that they made. So (laughs) they agreed to do parts of the job that they now are saying they're uncomfortable doing, or, uh, oh, my, my parents just told me that, you know, I need to take this trip with them and it's the two weeks of the middle of your summer. You know, and things like that. Let's talk about underperforming and change of commitment.
1: Let's take them in reverse order. Change of okay. commitment first. So I, I, I'm a, um, maybe it's a throwback piece, but I'm a great believer that when you put your signature on something or you shake a hand or you agree to something in any way, shape or form, that's a commitment. And look, we, we could get into the issue of parenting and child re- child rearing and all that sort of stuff. But the fact of the matter is, I think it's incumbent upon us to be those role models. So for example, during the contracting period, um, having a contract that is 19 pages long and you'd need an (laughs) electron microscope to read fully is just not smart when we're dealing with people who we know have attention span that is increasingly short over time. So I think we've got to be realistic and say, what does it look like when we're enrolling or contracting with a person to do something that we know has been problematic in the past at camp? And I think it's incumbent upon us to change our system to accommodate that, meaning that let's get the contract down to three pages at most, Mm -hmm. and let's have Zoom interviews because we're now all too familiar with Zoom and say, let me just remind you of what you're signing. Versus, here's your contract in the mail. I I would, I would encourage places to actually have that conversation and say, I don't want you to sign this. In fact, don't sign it unless we are on a Zoom call together because I want to make sure we're reviewing that contract together and we really understand. Now, that doesn't stop what happens at camp. But at the very least, we've got the ability to say here's a teachable moment at camp because yes when a parent turns around and says oh by the way i'm taking john out of camp for two weeks and you say well hold on we asked up front we were clear and specific and again i think age is an issue here if they're over 18 then the parent has no expectation of talking to a senior staff member or the camp director right in fact Legally, you could argue that you shouldn't talk to the parent. The employee is an employee and and there's an expectation. Um, So there's a couple of ways of handling that. You can say, okay, you're going to do that. We understand. Um, We do not agree. I think transparency and honesty is really important. And you're not there to be a friend. You're there to be uh, a camp professional. And sometimes that means telling the honest truth. John. We are absolutely, very clearly disappointed with this choice, which we think is a poor choice and goes against the commitment you made at the beginning of the summer. And here's the consequence. Now, it's easy for me to say that in a year where people are struggling to get staff, but that's the art of camp directing is, (laughs) when, when do you bite the bullet to set an example that isn't being done just for the sake of it, it's because it's the right thing to do. And I think that as long as you are transparent and honest with the person and explain why this is not fair or appropriate, that's one thing. If they are uncomfortable because you're asking them to do something which they thought they could do, right? or they didn't qualify for. So for example, we've all had ropes course people that freeze or something. say, I, I just can't do that. Or a lifeguard who comes for training and doesn't pass. I think it's incumbent upon us to say, you know what, did you do your best? And if you did, let's recycle you into something where you can be successful because yeah. that's what we want to teach at camp. Um, underperformance is different than non-performance. Um, And I think at all costs, we need to be honest and upfront with those young people and treat them with the courtesy of telling them why you're being upfront. John, I want you to know about this issue in the dining hall that we've repeatedly tried to address because I'm hoping that we can have a conversation about why this is important and not just the issue, but why and how we're sitting down now and when you're a leader at camp and you're supervising staff, how will you do this? Yeah. Um, so I, I think these are all role modeling, teachable moments. They only become a crisis when it's a time sensitive or dangerous issue. Other than that, I encourage supervisors to take the time to explain. And if they can't explain at that moment, say to them, hey, John, I need you to do this this way right now. I can't explain it. But we will speak later, and I will explain it. And then keep a note. I mean, one of the the easiest things I encourage supervisors to do is keep a little notepad in your pocket. And when you say you're going to do something, do it. If I say I'm going to, John, I'll catch up with you later, then that should be something I write down and I catch up with you. So that's some of that nuanced stuff. and remind me what was the first part? Oh, the second was, part. That was, that,
0: you you did all of those. I hit so it? Thank you. Yes, you me. did. You hit it right hit out of the park.
1: Well, um, I'm just patting myself
0: on the back. Good, good. There you go. Um, <laughs> do you have a do you, when 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 you're thinking your big thoughts? Do you have a favorite quote about supervision? Is, um, there, is there a writer that you that inspires you?
1: You know, there's there's a number of most of them are sort of on a, attributed because only because i can't remember who said them right but um one of my one of my favorites is for want of a better term get rid of the bs up front yeah and
0: just just be that was confucius wasn't it
1: that was definitely confucius i i i I think that's what confucius used to say quite commonly Uh, (laughs) but just be yourself don't you know I can't remember what the quote was exactly, but it's essentially around be yourself. Then you don't have to pretend and, and you don't have to have airs and graces. If you're a senior camp professional, I I like to think that long gone are the days where we carried walkie talkies and clipboards and had camp director written on our backs. If people don't know that you have the power, you shouldn't really have to display. Interesting. Yeah. So I, I'm, you know, I, I, my favorite role at camp was the camp photographer, frankly, yeah. uh, as the executive director. Hardly any of the children at camp knew that I was the exec. I didn't need to have them know. I was the camp photographer. Right. And it it's gave me sneaky. amazing access as well. I was well, going to say otherwise. a
0: sneaky way to see everything.
1: <laughs> Absolutely everything. There's yeah. also, by the way, in, in supervision, um, as we as we talk about sort of uh, quotes, there's a the wonderful supervisory process called the Scooby-Doo method, which is where you just go back in time and you say, you know what, I wasn't comfortable with the way that worked out. You take your mask off and you say, I want to do it again. I really wasn't happy with the way our last interaction went, John. Yeah. Uh, and I, I wanted to take responsibility for that. But here's what I want to do. I want to go back in time and you do the whole blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And you, you redo it. There's nothing wrong with that. That's great. It's, it's a, actually, it's I actually process. think that's a, a great role modeling thing to do. And I think it's a very strong message to our uh, professionals, whether they're seasonal or year round, that we, we make mistakes. Yeah. We can fix them.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Do you have any uh, resources that you like to share with camps?
1: I think you should hire a rugged <laughs> uh, English speaking counts <camp>, uh, <laughs> consultant. Uh, That's what uh, to charm them all into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are actually, John. There are so many resources out there. But what's remarkable to me is how few people take the time to learn about supervision. And if you go into many industries, um, whether it's the hospitality industry, the healthcare industry, these people become supervisors, and no one ever says, "Oh, by the way, um, can we teach you how to be a good supervisor?" So. Uh, the primary resource for me is the person themselves. And they have to be willing to go out and go on YouTube and, and or, or Google great supervision. There are so many resources yeah. out there that do this. But what I find is that we promote people without asking the question and we promote them blindly without taking the time to ensure they actually understand the, the enormity, that that piece I spoke about at the very beginning, the enormity and the trust that goes with that role. Um, and I think that's, that's yeah, what it I leans, sort of it leans gravitate into, towards.
0: Yeah, and it leans into what you were uh, initially saying about um, it's all professional development. It's,
1: Absolutely. it's all to
0: bring out Absolutely. the best in people. Um, Absolutely. So... <clears throat> Is that your number one takeaway? Do you have a a different, what do you want people to consider the big takeaway from this conversation?
1: The big takeaway is that um, you are absolutely mandated to get your own supervision in order. Yeah. And you cannot be a good supervisor or you can't put your hand on your heart and be transparent and be vulnerable, which is what a supervisor has to be If your own supervision, for want of a better term, sucks. Mm -hmm. So whether you're the executive director and you have a board that doesn't evaluate or supervise you, get that in order. Um, If you're uh, the CFO, the COO, the camp director, and your supervision sucks, get that in order. How can you sit with the people you supervise when in the back of your head the gnawing pain is I'm doing so much better for this person than being done for me. It's yeah. not healthy and it's not right. And supervision is a two-way street. Yeah. And so if there's one big takeaway, John, that would be it is, is don't settle for mediocre supervision for yeah. yourself uh, because then the likelihood is that's what you're going to give those who work under your supervisory brilliance. <laughs> we At we least can. I hope. We hope
0: we hope this has been uh, great fun to speak with you. It always is great fun to speak with you, David. Um, how can listeners connect with you?
1: Um, send cash. That's an uh, the, the, <laughs> In tr- Cash, a gold bullion or unmarked trade bills are fine. Right. But right. Write the your most phone number
0: on a dollar bill and send yeah. it to
1: this address. Yeah. You know what? If How many people listen? God, please tell a, a me there's like three million. It's millions million. of people. Um, <laughs> And you'll have good karma if you do that, by the way. Uh, (laughs) No, they can connect with me uh, at my uh, email address, which is david at immersivefirst, I M M E R S I V E, the number one S T dot com. Or they can uh, go to my website, immersivefirst.com. And on that front page, there's a button that says free chat. And (laughs) eventually, you hit that. And you can make a time to call and talk to me. And John, you know this because it's really true and I'm proud to say it. There is no expectation of a gig, a consulting job. I do this. I try to give 35% of my time to help. And it's an absolute treat to speak to my colleagues and generate new friends. So that's really and they can also, I'm assuming, email you, and you'll send them to a better consultant. So
0: <laughs> well, it it is always a treat to speak with you, and I have been the beneficiary of your uh, very generous uh, you know, thoughts uh, through through our professional development efforts that we've worked on together. Um, so I sincerely appreciate all you've done for me, and the time that we've had uh, today. So thank you for joining us for Campwire. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, and uh, find more Campwire episodes at ACACamps.org. Thanks again, David.
1: My pleasure. Thank you, John.